We are never better than when we're challenged. You know, no one becomes an amazing person because life was easy for them and they were given everything. People become amazing people because they faced challenging times and they showed up and they stepped through it and they learned. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an amazing guest today. JJ Virgin is a celebrity nutrition expert and fitness hall of famer. She teaches clients how to break through food and carbon tolerances so they can finally lose the weight to transform their health and their lives. JJ is a prominent TV and media personality whose previous features include co-host of TLC's Freaky Eaters, health expert for Dr. Phil, and appearances on PBS, Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, Access Hollywood, and The Today Show. She regularly speaks and has shared the stage with notables, including T.D. Jakes, Tony Robbins, and Brendan Bruchard. She is the author of four New York Times bestselling books. Her latest book, Warrior Mom, shows mothers everywhere how to be strong, positive leaders for their families while exploring inspirational lessons J.J. learned as she fought for her own son's life. JJ hosts the popular JJ Virgin Lifestyle podcast with over 3.5 million downloads and counting. She also regularly writes for Huffington Post, Rodale Wellness, Mind Body Green, and other major blogs and magazines. JJ, welcome to the show. I am honored. So there's a number of different things that we could talk about, and I know that you've written a number of books, many of which are in the health space. But I want to take some time and really talk about the one that came out last year because it's so powerful. And that book is The Miracle Mindset. And there's a really powerful and personal story that's a part of this. Would you mind sharing the premise for that book with us? Sure. Um, And this, by the way, really helped me reposition health and realize that for so many people, health is the number one thing holding them back. And it's it's way more important. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. And so what happened was it was really a couple weeks out before I was getting ready to publish my first big book, The Virgin Diet. And to set the stage, I am the sole financial support for my kids. They were 15 and 16 at the time, two boys. And also I had invested every dime of my advance into the book and then borrowed So I was all in to make this book a big success. I really felt like the message of uh, food intolerance needed to get out there. It was the right time, et cetera. So I was all in. I was going for it. And I came home one evening after taping videos. It was just a little before dusk. And um, my son walked out of the house. He actually kind of stormed out of the house mad at me, (laughs) which made it even worse. And um, told me he wasn't as strong as I thought he was. Storms out, barefoot. 
I figure he's going to go over to a friend's house. I go in the garage to work out. Next thing I know, my 15-year-old son, that was my 16-year-old son, Grant. My 15-year-old son, Bryce, runs into the garage and says, Grant's been hit by a car and airlifted to the local hospital. Now, when this happens, like a couple things go through your mind because obviously airlifting equals really bad broken bones as an ambulance. So we drove over his dad, my um, 15-year-old and me, we drive over there. We can't get any information. He's a John Doe. We get there, they usher us into a conference room and uh, worst bedside manner ever is what I would tell you about this hospital. I'm like, mm. you know, and uh, all the nurses are looking at us like with with pitying looks. So we get in the conference room and they tell us that my son has been the victim of a hit and run and he was basically left for dead in the street. A neighbor pulled around with his big truck and protected him and called 911 they said he's going to die sometime in the next 24 hours. He's got a torn aorta. It kills 90% of the people on the scene. It's hanging on by an onion skin. It's going to rupture. He would have to have a surgery to repair it, but we don't do that here. Um, the type he needs because he would have to have it done without a blood thinner because he also has multiple brain bleeds. He's in a deep, deep coma. And he has 13 fractures, which was the least of the problem at the time. And so they said, you know, he's never going to survive an airlift to another hospital. And even if he did, he probably wouldn't survive that surgery. And even if he were able to survive both those things, he would be so brain damaged. And literally the doctor says this to us. We're all looking at him. He'd be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. Mm. Right now, like hackles up on mom. And my son Bryce looks over and says, so, but maybe like a 0.25% chance he'd make it. (laughs) And the doctor says, yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, I looked at that doctor and I go, I'm, I'm looking at, and Bryce says, we'll take those odds. And he looks at me, it's like, it's not zero, right? All you need is the littlest bit of hope. And so we overruled the doctor and had him airlifted to this next hospital. And this was in the middle of the night. He survived the airlift. We get to Harbor UCLA. There are five surgical teams that one angel doctor has called in. This this doctor who took on the case, because when you take a case, basically the other hospital's like, we're done, you know, washes their hands of it. So he gets the case. He gets a hold of all of his buddies to pull them all in. So we've got a, a neurosurgical team. We've got an orthopedic team. We've got a pediatric critical care. We've got a critical care trauma and we've got his um, team, which is the thoracic surgery team. So we got them all in there. And he has procured the stint that's no longer available that was part of a clinical trial that's not supposed to be used in kids. And he like, tells me, I figured I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness. You know, <laughs> he tells me this later. And I walk in, he goes, you the mom? And uh, I said, yes. He goes, come, let me show you what we're going to do. And don't worry, I totally got this. I do this all the time. Can you imagine this? I mean, I've, I've interviewed him in the documentary we did. And he goes, you know, I just saw the deer in headlights look and I had to get you calm and out of there because, you know, there's five surgical teams prepping Grant for surgery. So we went up to the waiting room and this is a county hospital. So the waiting room was a little bit rough. I literally slept, you know, lied down and put my head on my purse. And two hours later, he comes in, he goes, okay, he's fine. Fixed it. And my uh, ex-husband and I are overjoyed and we look at him and he goes, now, I don't know about his brain. I'm just the plumber. 
You'll have to talk to the neurosurgeons on that part. So we go in to see Grant, and then we go to the neurosurgeons, and they say, yeah, we don't think he'll ever wake up. You know, I, we don't know. And I just decided I was going to completely ignore that one. So we go in to see Grant, and I'm holding his hand, and he's in a deep coma, non-responsive, unresponsive. And I, I said something, and I could literally only hold three fingers of one hand. Everything else was covered in road rash. I mean, literally, there was glass sticking out of his skin. He was on a respirator. He was had a uh, tube coming out of his brain to manage the pressure, all these machines that were beeping, central line. And I said, you know, Grant, we all love you so much. No response. And then I said, Grant, your brother, and he loves his brother. I said, Grant, your brother, Bryce, loves you so much. He's, he's you know, fighting for you. And I felt the littlest squeeze my finger. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You know, he's not supposed to be, he's not supposed to be here. And then I said another name I knew wouldn't matter to him. And then I said his girlfriend. And he picked my fingers up off the bed. And uh, and then I just thought, you know what? <laughs> Yo, Grant, you're going to be 110%, honey. We totally got this. You don't need to worry. I just need you to fight. I'm going to call in all my friends. We are going to get you the best care. And you're going to be better than before. You have to fight. Your name means warrior. You got to fight. And that was just my premise moving forward is I just went, you know, this is, uh, I think every parent gets this. It's like, this is our do-over and he's going to be 110% and that's it. And that's just what I went on. Everyone at the hospital thought I was absolutely crazy, but um, I figured if I fall short, it's totally cool. And take us through what happens next. So what happened next, he moved up to the pediatric ICU, which was a much nicer place. He was like the the Hulk in the middle of it because he was swollen up um, to over 200 pounds. He was in a deep coma. We started doing things very quickly. I sent an SOS email out to everyone I knew and my entire online community and posted on Facebook. And all of this help kept started coming in. Now I've known, I've been working in the medical community for... 25 plus years. I have some amazing friends and resources like Dr. Daniel Amen, who came to the hospital and Dr. Hyla Cass and Dr. Ann Myers. So we just, we started getting all this help. And one of the first things that we did, we had Dr. Ann Myers who works at Cedar sinai in their brain trauma unit came over and started doing essential oils. And I started to see him responding. Now, remember he's in a deep coma. They don't think he'll ever wake up, but he's starting to, to wiggle his toes and twitch his nose on command. And then I find out about progesterone and I actually contact the researcher who found out that progesterone can help reduce the swelling. And so I started doing that. Then I started doing fish oil and the challenge I had with fish oils, he'd been on high dose fish oil prior to the accident because he's got bipolar disorder. And one of the cool things with uh, fish oils that can protect the brain from injury. And I think it's probably one of the big reasons he pulled through, but the hospital wouldn't let me go up past two grams because they were afraid it was going to make him bleed more, which is so silly because I had all the research from Dr. Barry Sears showing the exact, that, that it doesn't have any impact on that, but the hospital wouldn't do anything. So we got him up to two grams. And then when he spit out his own feeding, his own um, tubes, I was able to start to give him and he was able to feed himself. I cranked that way up. And it was funny because as I cranked that fish oil up, he started to talk. So it was pretty clear. In fact, when I cranked it all the way up to 20 grams was when he actually called me in the middle of the night using his phone. And I thought I dreamed it. It was a long road. It has been a long five and a half year road. The actual 
hardest part was after we left the four and a half month stint in the hospital. And there's been a lot of challenging times. You know, he had a near-death experience in the hospital, which was pretty interesting because he said that the gray man asked him if he wanted to live or die. And he said, it's really, it's really amazing over there. He's since been able to articulate more and more what being on the other side is like, which is so fascinating, right? Mm. But um, it's not something... I think it, it, it's it's very hard to articulate, but it definitely is one of those things where it sounds like it's a nicer place to be. He said, but I kept hearing you because I would literally sit, Dr. Richard, by him in the hospital while I was working on my book launch because, I mean, this book launch had to go. I had all these hospital bills to pay. <laughs> like I was going, I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring my son back to 110%. And I know one thing for sure, most of that's not going to be covered by insurance. So... I've got a lot of work to do. So I would sit there and talk to him while I was working in the hospital. I have pictures of me doing this. And he said, you know, mom, the gray man asked me if I wanted to live or die. And I really wanted to stay there. It was really amazing there, but I kept hearing your voice. And so I told him I would live. So pretty crazy, incredible story. And that's one key takeaway for anyone who's around someone in a coma is uh, they know you're there. I would walk into the room and his blood pressure would come down. He'd make all these shifts. They know you're there. They can feel you. They can hear you. They know the energy. And it's, you know, it's the same thing in life when you really look at it. So much of what's out there in the world is so negative. Like at the age of 30, I had an amazing mentor and I stopped listening to any news. I stopped paying attention to all the negativity. I started to focus on creating a positive environment, which I set the same thing up for Grant in the hospital. And I believe that's been one of the key things is consistently telling him he was going to be 110%, right? And just setting that around him. So if people came up and started talking about anything negative, like he's not going to wake up, they were like ushered out. (laughs) It's amazing. And, you know, for I think probably the vast majority of people would hear from the doctor that there's no chance. And not only did you have this positive mindset, but so did Bryce. And Bryce, as much as as you, you know, banding together, giving Grant a chance. And that's really amazing. They were raised in my household. And my ex-husband, who's a very good friend and an amazing dad. I mean, Ben, so amazing in all of this bringing Grant back. We are both super positive people. So that's just who we are and how we roll. Now, you know, I think some of that's genetic. I know there's a happiness gene, but I do believe that you can teach yourself that and so much of that is managing your environment. So that's just how Bryce Bryce was raised and Grant was raised. So it's their natural go-to. And you mentioned that it's been five and a half years since this accident? Yes. And so how is Grant today? So it has been quite a journey. It has not been easy. But one of the things that my mentor who really, I wish she was alive today because uh, she really is responsible in so many ways for my son being alive with all of the lessons. You know, people ask me, how did you get through this? And I didn't remember, like I lived with this woman for six months and she just downloaded all of this to me. She was a mindset coach. I thought she was going to coach me in business, but in order to succeed in business, you have to have the right mindset. So that's what she did. But so many of those things that she taught me were how I was able to, to get through this. And one of the key things she always taught me was, don't wish it was easier, make yourself better. Now, I changed it to don't wish it was easier, make yourself stronger. And, you know, it has not been easy 
over the last five and a half years. I was just told that when Grant woke up from the coma, it would be ugly. I thought that it'd be ugly for like five minutes. He would yell and then he'd turn and look at me and say, I love you, mom. I didn't know that he that you come out of a coma over months and years, not over a minute. And that people who have a brain injury, and it's a, like 5 million people at any time in the US are struggling with the impact of a brain injury. And one of the key ones is depression, mood instability, suicidal thoughts and tendencies. So we've had all of that coupled with him being bipolar. So it's like amplified. And one of the things that I learned early on with this as we've been going through this is that when I tried to protect him when he came home and do it all for him, that it actually was making all of it worse. And that when I turned around and said, Grant, you were dead on the pavement and you pulled through that. There's nothing that you can't do. You are never better than when you're challenged. You need to step up and go for this. That challenging him has, has really made all the difference. When you think about it in life, we are never better than when we're challenged. You know, no one becomes an amazing person because life was easy for them and they were given everything. People become amazing people because they faced challenging times and they showed up and they stepped through it and they learned. And then the next time they go, oh, just that. Like right now, my litmus test for is are things hard is, is anyone dying here? If that's not the case, I think everything's fine. You're not going to rattle me with, you know, bad press or financial issues because like they just don't, they just don't even register on my screen anymore. So now... What happened when Grant came home was I was able to really pull in my amazing community of medical experts. And I've been so fortunate being around the people I'm around, but I've been sharing all of it too, because I want everyone to have access, which is what's so cool about podcasts and the internet and all of that, that I will say today, Grant is 110%. I still can't believe that you know he got hit by a car, had 13 fractures, and he is you know, this morning played tennis and his only real impairment is a little hearing loss in one ear. They told us he'd be totally deaf. He's not because he refused to believe that. We've done a lot of alternative therapies. We've been, we've done like six rounds of stem cells. Um, and he now is better than before the accident. That's amazing. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. You have mentioned mindset interwovenly throughout this story so many times. So that became the premise of your book, The Miracle Mindset. Which, by the way, you, you don't know this because it hasn't happened yet, but um, I wrote that book and it, it's interesting when you call something miracle mindset because there's so many things attached to a miracle. And I believe that miracles happen every single day if you're looking for them. It's just like, you know, when you're going to buy a white car and then all of a sudden you see white cars everywhere. They're there. We just don't see them. 
And, but there was so much stuff attached to it. And I just felt like, okay, what is really is this? And I was doing an interview for a documentary that Dr. Mark Hyman put on called Broken Brain. And they said, you know, we had to have you on this interview because you're such an amazing mom. And I, I, number one, believe that anyone in my shoes would have done the same, that it's your kid, you know, mom, dad, you know, it's like you fight for them. But um, I, I looked at, I went, oh my gosh, I'm a warrior mom. And I thought that is the title, warrior mom. So I'm actually bringing the book back out with that title here in uh, it's probably now when the podcast comes out. So I'm super excited about that because I, I really wanted to get that message out there that um, a warrior mom and a warrior dad become that because they put themselves in their health first. And this is going to sound so bizarre, but when I was in the hospital the first night and I'm looking at Grant, and this was like the first 24 hours, I'm standing there. It's been 24 hours later. I'm standing at the foot of his bed. He's made it through the airlift, the surgery. And now I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not leaving here. One of the leading causes of death is death by doctor. It's not that the doctors did it. It's that there's so much stuff going on in a hospital that mistakes happen. And I didn't know, but one of the leading causes of death in children are brain injuries. So I'm not leaving, but I also know that I have to make this book go and that I have another child. And thankfully, my ex-husband was able to be at home with him for a lot of the time when I was in the hospital. So I thought, gosh, I'm standing in this hospital next to my son in a bed. I've got gloves on, a mask on, and a a robe on. And I know that I cannot walk in there if I'm sick. And I thought the only way I'm going to pull this off, be able to handle this level of stress, not get sick, is to put myself, my health, my self-care before everything else. Because if I don't do that, I will not be able to show up for my son the way I need to. I will not be able to show up for my other son the way I need to. And I won't be able to pull this book off. And so that's what I did. I put, I I made sure I was getting my sleep. I was eating correctly. I was exercising. I was taking a ton of supplements. I was doing stuff for stress, but I put my my health first. And that's the biggest message that I really want to get out to everybody is that I think for so many of us, the number one thing holding us back is our health. And that we, it's holding us back because we don't, make it the priority it needs to be. And I think a lot of that has to come down to not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, um, putting everybody else and all the other to-dos first. And so that has become really the bigger mission. And it, you know, here I am publishing a diet book and I realized it was so much bigger than that as I was publishing it. You know, and the message from you for years has been focusing on health. And I guess the question would be people listening to this, a lot of a lot of my audience are entrepreneurs. They're juggling 7,000 things, and that's probably putting it mildly. So for the person who's listening to this, who says, I've just got, it's not that I don't love myself enough, but I don't feel like I have the time. How do you make the time and carve out that time to make those health changes that are so important? Yeah, and I say make time. You know, I had a great mentor early on who says, you, you don't have the time, find it, make it. Because you have to, and you know, I run not one, but two companies and they're not little companies. (laughs) So I have full teams on both sides and my two kids. So you have to make the time. But what I tell people to do is I look at it and it's really a series of habit shifts. Like I've I've created a habit, 
healthy habits accountability sheet so that you go down and you just start with one at a time. I think one of the things that we do that sets us up to fail is number one, we try to change too many things at once. And if you just pick one at a time, you're so much better off than if you try to do even two at a time. So maybe the first thing you do is uncover your hidden food intolerances. Then you lower your sugar impact. Maybe it's drinking more water. It's giving yourself a good 12-hour overnight fast. It's getting your eight to nine hours of sleep. One of those things at a time until it's totally dialed in. Now, one of the great ways to make sure it's dialed in is to hire a coach because you commit with time in your wallet. And so that's why time commitments are super important because they show a commitment. The next one is to really put yourself around people who are in the same space. You know, it's the gym room. You are the average of the five people you hang out with. So I hang out with healthy people who are focused, positive focused, contribution focused, go-givers, right? Um, And that makes it simple. I don't hang out with negative people. I don't have them in my life. I actually have one person in my life who tends to look at things from a negative viewpoint. It's my mother. And I just manage that relationship. You know, love her to pieces. It's just who she is. Not going to change at 84. So there we have it. Um, And then, you know, along with the coach, I think it's great to have an accountability partner you're checking in with on this, all of this stuff. But picking one thing, getting really clear on what things you need to do, picking one thing at a time, having a coach, having a great community around you of support, which it's so easy now because we've got the internet and um, community is so key. In fact, you know, what's interesting about community is they've likened social isolation to be dam- more damaging to your health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So this is a super important part of this. I want to circle back around, JJ. You mentioned one of the things that people can do is determine their food intolerance. So talk to us about what food intolerance is, how common it is, and then what we can do about it. Ah, my my whole virgin diet, which I stumbled upon because early on in my career, I started as a personal trainer, paying my way through grad school as a personal trainer. And there were two of us, me and Jake, body by Jake, way back when. And I learned very quickly that you couldn't out-exercise a bad diet. And people were coming to me to lose weight. And you can't lose weight just by exercise. In fact, the, what you want to do to lose weight is fix your diet first then look for anything that's getting in the way of you losing weight. I call those factors of weight loss resistance and you know exercise and dialing in your exercise, but diets first. So I started looking for everything because I, I became very clear very fast that, that all calories are not created equal. And that in reality, while calories do count, where they come from counts more and that our body isn't a bank account, right? This is, it's a chemistry lab and it's about the hormonal impact of these calories and that there's certain foods that we're eating that could be healthy for one person, they're actually hurting us, creating inflammation and making us hold on to or gain weight. I didn't set out. I set out looking for things that could make it hard for us to lose weight or even cause us to gain weight. And then I came upon food intolerance because I was teaching doctors how to put different types of nutritional testing in their office. And one of them was a food sensitivity test. And what I found in that food sensitivity test is that the same foods kept showing up. And so it's interesting, there's a, an elimination diet out there in the world and it's been used therapeutically for decades. But what I saw was that the foods that people were reacting to weren't matching up to what had been traditionally done in an elimination diet. So I created a very simple program for people to be their own personal health detective, to be able to go through their own journey to, to figure out which these foods work for them and which foods don't by simply pulling them out for a couple of weeks, swapping them 
with peeling foods and then going back one by one to test them out so that they can connect the dots to see which foods work for them and which foods don't. So they can design a diet that's going to support their health and their weight for the long haul and get off this whole, uh, this, this diet roller coaster of, you know, losing weight. And not, it, it makes me nuts. It shouldn't be a hobby. And diets should be used for therapeutically to achieve a specific result and help you learn something so that you can create your daily diet that works well for you. I love that. And we, we started down this path. So take us through the virgin diet. So once you've figured out your food intolerances, what's the next step? All right. So, well, the very first step is you're going to kind of get a feel for how likely is food intolerance an issue for you. So I have an assessment. And I, I like people, even though I've done a lot of testing over the years, I believe that the more we can just give ourselves feedback all along the way, the better off we are. I really think that we've become disconnected between how we, you know, what we eat and how we feel. So that's the first step. Second step is again, swapping out, pulling out these foods. There's seven of them and swapping them out for other options. And that will help reduce inflammation quickly and heal. The average person loses up to seven pounds in the first week, which is very motivating. And I like to give people quick wins because it will keep them in. You for at least three to four weeks go through that. then. At the end of that time, you're going to go one by one. And for a couple of days, you test food and you see how you feel and you track your symptoms. At the end of doing that, now you know which foods work for you and which foods don't. I've given you some basic um, guidelines of what meals should look like in terms of the trifecta of protein, fat, and fiber from non-starchy vegetables and slow, low-impact carbs so that you have really good blood sugar balance, which is key. How you should be eating meals, not snacks, getting overnight fasts, you know, some of those different things so that now you can just design your diet that works for you. And then you stabilize there. And once you've stabilized there for a while, the next thing I have people do is start to really focus on lowering their sugar impact even more. Some of that's done in the virgin diet, but then I tweaked it and went further with it. Because again, I like to focus on one thing at a time. I went further on it with the sugar impact diet because I was getting a lot of questions in the virgin diet about sugar. I realized that it's a very confusing topic. It happened just, I was just at lunch today and I watched someone pour (laughs) some honey into their tea and they're saying, I'm just having a little bit. I go, that wasn't a little bit. And, And he goes, you know, it's not like I'm having sugar. I go, that was all sugar. You just said sugar and it wasn't a little bit. And if you, this is, it's the things you do every day, not once in a while that create the problems. So talk to us, JJ, you mentioned the sugar impact diet, which was the next book and the next thing that you focused on. Talk to us about why sugar is so harmful to us. Sugar. So I'm going to quote my buddy, Dr. Mark Hyman, who says sugar is our number one recreational drug of choice. And he's so right. If this was a drug, we would be banishing it because it's so toxic. When you look at all the major diseases, heart disease, diabetes, osteoarthritis, dementia. Do you know if you have slightly elevated blood sugar, gosh, just 90, you have five times the risk of dementia. They're now calling it type three diabetes, cancer, all the major lifestyle, all the major diseases, which I believe most of these are lifestyle diseases, either are caused by or contributed to through sugar. And the challenge we have now is sugar sneaking into places you would never expect. I mean, you know, marinara sauce, 
these light salad dressings. When we went through the whole fat phobia, we started pulling fat out, sneaking sugar in. And then we thought, oh my gosh, sugar's bad. So we made artificial sweeteners, which are even worse and more toxic. So what I did was look at, all right, first thing we have to do is identify what sugar is doing to us. So I have a sugar impact quiz to really identify the impact that sugar is having on your diet and your body. And what people don't realize is that all carbohydrates except for fiber turn to sugar. So it's really you figuring out whether you're making it from the foods you eat slowly, which is great, or mainlining it. And that's what sugar impact is about, is I looked at foods and I looked at the amount of fructose in them, which is the worst sugar of all, how much something raises your blood sugar and insulin. I contrasted that with fiber and nutrient density, and I created a scale, which is basically high or red, stop, yellow, medium, you know, proceed with caution, and green, go at it, you know, low. And I have people go through a process because what I realized the problem with sugar was and quitting sugar is that if you go cold turkey, you're sitting there as a sugar burner, taking away your primary fuel source and you will crash and go racing for another cookie. And so what I teach people to do is taper down first by going, identifying, taking a sneaky sugar inventory, identifying how much sugar sneaking into their diet, tapering from low, from high to medium with simple swaps. So I included all the different swaps in the different categories of foods. And then once they've done that and they go, they stay in that for one to three weeks, depending on their sugar impact quiz, because they're really starting to make this transition from being a sugar burner over to a fat burner. At that point, we then go into a transition period where they drop fructose to zero. It turns out the more fructose you eat, the better you are at driving fructose straight to the liver, the only organ that can metabolize it, and turning it into fat, which is not what you want to do, right? You don't want to become a better fat storer. So we take you for two for two weeks there with no fructose at all, a very low sugar impact because the foods, the carbs you are eating are very tough for your body to turn into sugar. So they're slow impact carbs. And at that point, at the end of those two weeks, you go back, you see how you feel, you track your symptoms, and then you go back and you start to play around with medium and high sugar impact foods to see where you feel best. Because again, not, you know, there's so much talk right now about low carb and keto. And there's some people that that's going to work really well for, depending on their genetics, what's going on with their health at the moment and their lifestyle. And there's some people who shouldn't do that. And so it helps you determine where should you be on that scale. Someone with adrenal or thyroid issues is going to be different than someone who's diabetic. And so I like to take people, as you can tell, through this personal discovery process, helping them connect the dots, putting the power into them so that they can really identify where they should be. I love it. JJ, I wish we had more time to talk, and I know we're just scratching the surface on the topics of health, but really grateful you came on the show today. As you know, I ask every guest who comes onto my show one question, and that is, what is your biggest helping? The single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after listening to our episode today? You know, the thing that carried me through with Grant every day was that statement that I said. And in fact, I named the movie this, that you are stronger than you think. This The idea that that so often we'll look at challenging situations and we'll just wish they weren't happening or wish they were easier, not realizing that it is that journey and how you show up 
that is going to define who you are and make you an even better version of yourself. So the big thing I would tell people is, number one, don't wish it was easier. Make yourself stronger. And by the way, you are stronger than you think. Perfect. JJ, where can people find you? Easiest place is jjvirgin.com. And then you can get all my social places because I go live all the time and podcasts and blogs and all that. We do a ton of content on a regular basis. Fantastic. And for those of you at the gym or behind the wheel of a car, we've got you covered. We will have everything JJ Virgin in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com, as well as in the Daily Helping app available in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Well, JJ, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was fantastic having you here. Thank you. I super appreciate it. And thanks to each and every one of you who tuned in to today's episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.